Hello and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King and this is a Halloween edition. We're going to talk about some scary stuff and some fun and interesting businesses revolving around the Halloween theme. Our first guest is Sally Lebowitz, who in the Midcoast region is known as the Lady in the Red Cloak. And she has really built a business and is having a lot of fun with people in the Midcoast region, scaring them. Sally, tell us about the haunted tours and uh, what you're doing, which towns, and how it all got going. Well, good morning. Thank you. I'd be happy to. We started about 11 years ago just with a small Halloween time tour in the town of Damariscotta. And since then, we have grown to be a full six-month seasonal business. And we do tours in Damariscotta and Bar Harbor, Booth Bay Harbor, Bath, Hollowell, Rockland, and Camden, Wiscasset. So we do tours all around, and we also do cemetery tours and haunted lighthouse. Now, the tours all have a theme of uh, ghosts and uh, haunted places, is that right? Yes, uh, folklore, legends, haunted stories, and a lot of history. Now, I remember going when Mary and I and the kids went on our cross-country RV trip. There were a lot of these. It was It's a big deal in a lot of places. I remember in Charleston and Savannah, these haunted tours. In fact, one of my favorites was one that the tour vehicle was a hearse. <laughs> You, you haven't gotten to that point yet, I trust. I haven't. I've, I've thought of that. But, uh, <laughs> the, the little main villages are so much fun to walk through, no matter what time of year, that we're just sticking with the walking tours. And people really like looking at the buildings up close. There's so much great architecture here. And then they get to feel like they're almost in the story themselves. And so you give them stories, legends of local people and occurrences in these towns and some yeah. mystery. That's right. Give, mm-hmm. me, give, me a, give me an example. Pretend we're in uh, Damariscotta and walking. What am I going to see? And give well, me a, a bit going, of your, your uh, statement. Sure. In Damariscotta, you're going to hear about Jake Day, who was one of the biggest illustrators of the film Bambi. You're going to hear about an old schoolhouse that was moved about 10 miles in the early 1900s. You're going to hear about the ghostly lady who used to do a lot of seances there in Damariscotta. You're going to see the finest example of federal architecture. You're going to hear about the old livery stable manager who still haunts his building. And those are a few of the examples in Damariscotta of some of the things we talk about. Now, I'll, I'll share one. I don't know if you're aware. In Booth Bay Harbor, down at the end of Southport Island, do you know about the Wicked Witch of the West? I do. Oh, well, you're ahead of me then, because I had heard that she lived down there, the actress that played that part. And yeah. I was once with a fellow, and I said, is it true that the Wicked Witch of the West lived down at the end of Southport? He said, absolutely. And I said, how do you know for sure? He said, I'm her son. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So that's a, that's a bit of uh, of local history. It is, yes, and we actually point out her home when we are going by on our lighthouse cruises. We work with Maine Maritime Museum for legends and lore and haunts of lighthouses, and we go right by her house on our weekly trip. Now, are so most I always point that out. Are most of your guests out of staters, or are they Maine people? We have both. We have a lot of local people that are intrigued by the idea of the mysteries and the haunts. And so they often come checking out what's going on right in their own hometown. We usually have several surprises for them. 
not only haunted stories and ghost stories, but often much history about their own hometown that they didn't realize. So they have fun with that. Well, these main towns are, are rich in history. I live right across the street from where Joshua Chamberlain used to live, and oh. we, we had a babysitter once who swore that she walked into a room and there was a guy there in a union uniform. And so my story, which I'm sticking to it, is that uh, Joshua Chamberlain has at least occasionally haunted our house. I would, I would imagine he does. He probably <laughs> used to come over and visit, and he's just continuing those visits. Well, he was uh, he was right in the neighborhood, so uh-huh. like I say, I'm, I'm going to stick to that story. I don't blame you. What are some other fun sort of ghost stories about the coast of Maine? Well, I, I picked out one that I thought you might enjoy because it involves a past governor of the state of Maine, mm-hmm. and, and this is Governor Smith, who served in the 1880s from Wiscasset, and he only served for a few years. Well, in, in those days, appallingly, the term of the governor was one year. Can you imagine having to run every single year? When Joshua Chamberlain was governor, he was governor for four years, but he had to run four times. And that was a long time in those days, from yep. my understanding. They often did serve only one or two years. I believe Governor Smith served for three years. And he returned to Wiscasset after he finished with his term, or his terms, and finished out his life there in a very stately home in Wiscasset. And his wife had a little bit of a rough time. They had several children that were either lost in a war or lost at sea. You know, that those mm-hmm. days there was a lot of uh, unexplained, unexpected death. Yep. And, then, and then Governor Smith became an invalid himself. So she was taking care of the family and the home and her husband. And she often got a little discouraged and said, you know, life hasn't been so nice to me all the time, but I've always loved this house and it has treated me well. If I can come back to it someday, I will. And apparently she has. Many, many people in the town of Wiscasset have seen her apparition peeking out of windows there in the home that is still owned by the Smith family. The home, let let me interrupt, the Mm -hmm. home in Wiscasset is still owned by the same family of the governor of Maine from the 1880s. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's a long period of family ownership. It is, and that doesn't happen very often anymore. So several generations have gone through this home. They often rent it out to other folks, but it is owned by them. So mm-hmm. how important to the main tourism business, which is an important part of our economy, is history? Oh, it's huge because it's so different than many other states where people come from. They love to find out about the early history. They grew up learning about it in their school books. But to actually come and stand in places where some of these things they heard about happened or to try to imagine what it was like in the sailing days or when the lumber was being cut here and all of these hills that we now see with the beautiful foliage were clear-cut. Right. And that very, very interesting to watch their reactions as they try to wrap their mind about what, how this worked back in the 1700s. Well, I've always thought one of the most interesting pieces of history on the Midcoast is Damariscove Island, which mm-hmm. I think is also supposed to be haunted, isn't it, now that I... Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, by a keeper or someone who was there, a headless man. Am I remembering that, that right? Yes, 
you're very good. Yes, you're up on your ghost stories. <laughs> I remember that. But Damerscove <laughs> Island was one of the first European settlements in America back in the late 1500s. And I once asked Bill Caldwell, who wrote a book about it, why we remember the Pilgrims and not Damerscove. He said the Pilgrims had a better public relations office. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> but the people on Damerscove actually bailed out the Pilgrims at one point during a, a tough winter. They did, and, and that's one of the stories that I tell when we're in Booth Bay Harbor, because people don't understand that. And it's amazing to think of those fishermen there living on Damaris Cove in such an isolated area way back in those days, no one else around. Well, I had a family member who came to Maine in 1612, a guy named Gabriel Archer, who was John Smith's first mate. Okay. And as you know, Captain John Smith explored the Maine coast in the early 1600s. And in yes. fact, the story I've heard was that that's the origin of Christmas Cove. Is there any truth to that? I have heard the same. Gabriel Archer was, was his first mate, and he's somewhere back in my family. My sister's middle name was Archer, and I've always said, you know, I had early summer people because I think <laughs> they were only up here in the summer. Right, right. So he didn't jump, jump ship and stay here. He was he was just with. Boy. Not that I know of. The only two things I know was that he worked for Captain John Smith, and he was very short, as I recall. Some, oh. but uh, <laughs> I, that's about the extent of my knowledge. So history is a big part of what people enjoy. You said the tours started out around Halloween, but now it's a six month a year business. That's correct. That's a, that's correct. And I often do strictly historical tours as well. Sometimes we leave the ghosts and the haunts behind and do just historical tours, often for private folks or for schools, speaking engagements. I had fun yesterday. I spoke with the Island Institute for their monthly luncheon, and so we talked about a lot of the history and haunts of the islands of Maine. Well, in our whole seafaring history, I mean, the clipper ships from Maine were the fiber optics of their age. That was the fastest way to communicate. may have taken several weeks or months to get across the ocean, but they were the fast mm -hmm. ships. The other piece that's interesting, you mentioned, I think you mentioned Hollowell. Years ago, a big industry in Maine was ice. Yeah, yes, and is that something that you talk about? I do. I talk about it in Hollowell and in Bath on those tours and on the lighthouse cruises as well, because the Kennebec River was the center of Maine's ice industry. There was ice harvested in other parts of the state. In fact, in the town of Rockport, the, there was one particular pond near Aldermere Farm, if you're familiar with that, with mm -hmm. the Oreo cows. And, um, <laughs> and the little Come on pond now, the, there. Be the belted Galloways. Let's <laughs> the belted the Galloway, Oreo yeah. cows. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always say that and then, and then uh, give the correct name. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so Lily Pond right near there was thought to have the clearest ice and with the most expensive ice, it was very desirable because they say you could read the New York Times through it. Wow. And, so, and, and this was a big main business, and the ice would come down to places like Bath and put on ships with, with straw mm -hmm. and go all over the world. Yes, they would insulate it with straw or sawdust, and it would. It went to Australia and Russia, even, all around the world. Maine ice did. Mm -hmm. Maine merchants are pretty good if they could sell ice to the Russians. I, I think that's. A... <laughs> I know. I was astounded when I learned that little. Fact. <laughs> I had never heard that before. <laughs> those are the fun kind of things I search for. Those odd little facts that really surprise even the the local people. And you find that your tours are not only out of staters, but many local people who are interested in their own history. Correct. Now, tell me about Halloween, though. That's coming up. Do you have special Halloween weekend Actually, kind of things in mind? We do. We 
have some weekend things going on. We have several tours in our various towns. We have a cemetery tour actually this afternoon down in Bath. But we do not do anything on Halloween itself mm-hmm. because there's so much else going on and the kids take over the streets, which is wonderful. And they, they should be able to do that without interruption on Halloween evening. And so our last day is always October 30th. And then you spend the winter collecting new stories and anecdotes and stories of ghosts for next year's round of That's visitors right. and local residents. That's exactly right. Winter is when we get most of our research done. My husband helps me a lot with the business, and he's written a couple of books, or we've collaborated on a couple of books. He's going to be starting on his third one soon. Well, there's no end to the interesting history of Maine uh, from the coast all the way up into the mountains, and places like Rangeley have a deep and interesting history, the Moosehead Lake region, Bangor, Arista County. There's uh, there's no end to the material. So, Sally, it's wonderful to talk to you, and I love to hear of someone who builds a business around their passion, and it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you as well. I appreciate you having me on your show. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you. Thanks very much. I want to thank Sally Lobkowitz again for the wonderful time that she spent with us, for the work that she does, and for illuminating Maine history, both scary and not so scary, for visitors and our local people alike. And as I said, it's wonderful to hear someone who's made a business out of something that they enjoy and are learning from. Now I want to turn on Inside Maine to another sort of related to Halloween business, but it's actually year-round, and that is Wilbur's Candies of Brunswick and Freeport, or I guess I should say Freeport and Brunswick. And I'm talking to Tom and Andy Wilbur. Tom, you're the dad. You and your wife started this business back in the 80s. Tell me about how does one say, hey, I think I'm going to become a chocolatier? Oh, my wife is responsible for that. She said there were two stores she couldn't pass without going in. There was a candy store and a bookstore, and there was already a little bookstore in Freeport. And so we asked Edgar Layton if we could start a candy store in, in his building. And so the rest is history. Did either of you have any experience in making candy? How does one start in that business? None at all. No experience whatsoever. And we had no intention of making chocolates. We were just buying and reselling and in the beginning. And Catherine got tired of having people ask if we made it, and she decided that it would be a good idea for me to start making some chocolate. So I started experimenting in the basement of the house and began making a product at a time. And then after five years, we moved the production from the basement of the house to the cellar of the Tontine Mall in Brunswick and made chocolate there for three years. And then we finally got above ground and uh, (laughs) we moved to Freeport on Independence Drive. And finally, we made our last move 2008. So uh, so how much of your stock now do you guys make versus how much is, is bought wholesale? We make everything but things like jelly beans and, oh, uh, we don't do sugar-free uh, chocolate. 
there are very few things now that we don't do ourselves. We make well over 200 products. No kidding. Now, when you make a, a, a chocolate product, where does the chocolate come from? Tell me about the manufacturing process. Do you buy beans? Do you buy liquid chocolate? How does it start? We buy 10-pound blocks, and now we buy them in one big carton of 1,800 pounds. Wow. Uh, so there are 180 little 10-pound blocks in, in those cartons. That's that's the way we like to buy it best. And so we take that in and then uh, we melt it and make things into it. And, and, uh, and, and milk mix in additional ingredients. Yes. One of our biggest sellers is Maine Blueberry, the chocolate-covered blueberry, which we do in blue and in straight milk chocolate. We consume... I think it's something like several tons of blueberries a year. Good for you. You're, uh, they, a, you're a patriot. These are Maine blueberries, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just just checking. So this is not just Halloween, obviously. This is a year-round business. Do uh, you, you have the stores in Freeport and Brunswick, but how else do you market? How else do you sell? We have about 200 wholesale accounts, and probably the amazing story is that our first wholesale customer was L.L. Bean in 1985. A little little business down the street, right? (laughs) That's right. And in Maine, being a small community, as you know, a friend of ours was working at Bean, and he said, gee, Tom, I think they would like to see this mousse that you're making. And so he Don't tell me. It's a chocolate chocolate mousse, uh, right? Oh, yes, a chocolate (laughs) Not M-O-U, but <laughs> M-O-O. Yeah. And so he set me up with an interview, and I came out with a purchase order for $100, and I thought, gee, our future is sealed. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are that. you featured in on L.L. Bean's website or on, online? Not in their website, as far as I know. So, But you're uh, in we, the store. We sell to all their stores, and we have uh, since 1985, I I think we're approaching their oldest vendor. And I'm feeling older by the day, uh, which uh, Andy now, about a year and a half ago, took over the business. Well, let's get get Andy into the conversation. (laughs) Andy, you've come a long way from bagging gummy bears. Yeah, that was my first job. (laughs) So you you worked in the business as a kid, and now your dad's turned it over to you. Yeah, I started, you know, when we started the business when I was eight, I helped my parents out. And when my dad started doing some production, I started helping him out with that. And then I went on and did some other things. I was a teacher for 10 years. And and then towards the end of the time that I was teaching, my parents were talking about retirement. And so we had a conversation about what that would look like. And when I went into teaching, I hadn't thought uh, I'll, you know, I'll come out and, and run the business. But it was looking more and more like it was either sell the business or for me to have some involvement in it. So I left teaching and gave it a try. And Nine years later, I'm running the show, I guess. Wow, and it's come a long way from your mom and dad in the basement of their house melting chocolate. How many people do you have working with you now? We employ, in the mid-30s, our full-time equivalent is kind of in the mid-20s. And with seasonal employees, we have we end up having even more than the mid-30s. But at any given time, we have about 30. Is, is Halloween a, a bump in your business? For sure. We know most folks buy a lot of their Halloween candy that they're giving out of the door elsewhere, but we sell a lot, you know, especially gifts for folks that are, you know, if they have an older child that might be away or at college or even adults, you know, this, that kind of thing. Uh, folks, a lot of people come in and buy for their grandkids that live in other parts of the country and mail them. Just a few special things. Now, often lot. when there's a transition from one generation to another, there are changes in the business, sometimes subtle and sometimes major. Have you made any changes in marketing or recipes or 
uh, emphasis on products, those kinds of things? I think a lot of those things were things that we were working on collaboratively in advance of the transition. So even when I came into the business, one of the first things my parents wanted me to work on was revamping some of the recipes. Caramel is the one I wasn't allowed to mess with. No, no, um, please, don't. <laughs> that, uh, speaking on behalf of the uh, Midcoast uh, populace, don't change the caramel recipe. Yeah, I got, I've gotten that feedback a fair amount. So, uh, <laughs> but the the other things we've been tweaking and adding new things, making making more of of what we can, and and trying to you know offer new tastes to folks out there. And then in the transition, we've we've moved to some modernization and some technology. But a lot of those things, like I said, were happening ahead of time. And then the event space that we have been working on now, you know, that really started before the transition, and so it, it's continued. Through the transition, my parents have continued to be involved with it, but it's, we're not we're not reinventing the wheel necessarily, but we're just kind of trying to move things forward. And you're an LLB, and any other major retailers that we would know that you're uh, selling into? We're in Whole Foods and every store in their North Atlantic region, which is 40 stores, and that's a very big uh, wholesale customer for us at this point. Well, Whole Foods is now Amazon, right? Who knows where that could lead? Yeah, and we're curious about that as well. And Whole Foods has begun some transition in their business about how they did things in advance of the acquisition. Yeah, I think there's probably... Well, send a couple of boxes to Jeff Bezos just to sort of get him warmed up. (laughs) Oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tom, did you ever dream that you were starting a business that would employ 30-plus people and be selling all over the country and and outside of the country? Not at all. And uh, you you just, uh, you never know what's going to happen, do you? So it seems to me that the first time you shopped in the, what was in the Tontine store... Right, with my boys who were then little guys. That's right. It was uh, when you were with uh, PBS, is that... That's right. That would have been yes. in the 80s. Yes. So, uh, but uh, on the... You know, uh, Halloween has gotten to be so much bigger uh, since we started in business. It was a nice holiday... But now it's so much larger, and to kids, it's as important as holiday season. We have found that a lot of parents and grandparents, even though their kids have gone to college and even left the nest and whatnot, they still give them a Halloween gift, and the offspring is disappointed if they don't get something at Halloween. You should encourage that. Uh, that so That's right. They should, they should feel neglected. Listen, one, right. one thing I wanted to touch on, I understand you've put in a solar array down at the factory. Is that working? Is that supplying significant amount of power for you? It is, and I should have a better grasp of that, but it's 10 to 20 percent. Uh, we produce 14 megawatts a year, and we did that about uh, three or four years ago and put in a car charging station when we did that. And that's had some use over the few years it's been in. And, well, that's, that's and going been to, nice. That, that's going to grow, I think. The first floor of the parking garage at the National Airport down here, there are eight or ten electric car charger things. And I thought when they put that in, well, you know, that'll never be used. And I was by there the other day, and every slot was filled. Well, wow. uh, with an electric car, and I, you know, I think we're going to see more and more of that. So, well, so on a sunny day in in Freeport, you're not only making chocolate, but you're making electricity to make the chocolate. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, uh, chocolate uh, made by the sun. 
How about, uh, just in a few seconds we have left, is there a market for specialty chocolate products for companies to use as kind of gifts or, you know, you buy a new car and you get a chocolate mousse or something? I think that's something we do really well uh, and fundraising as well. So corporate gifts, we we do that for several companies. They uh, send us a list of the people that they would like to remember and we just take it from there and take care of it and it's mailed out delivered and what we very much like to see and and maybe I'm making a plug for this is schools and nonprofits and other fundraisers using main products in their fundraising efforts we feel if you give me two first grade classrooms and a couple of dedicated parents in about 9 days they can raise about $5000 for their Wow. For their school. Wow. That's, and, uh, uh, that's fantastic. And you're promoting main products at the same time. Absolutely. Well, Andy and, and Tom, it's great to t- talk to you guys. Tom, great to chat. I remember those days in the basement of the Tontine Mall, and uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to see have seen the business grow. And, you know, it's sort of like L.L. Bean. You make a quality product and, and uh, treat people well. And uh, what is it Mr. Bean said? They'll always come back for more. And that seems to have worked for uh, Wilbur's Chocolate. So... Uh, great to talk to you guys. Thanks for, for the work, and uh, we'll see you around town. And thank you for joining us on Inside Maine Halloween Edition. Talk to you again.